Jesus, we're so grateful, Lord, that that your your love, that the life that you give us has freedom in it. Jesus, it's our heart, it's our desire, it's the longing of everything that we are. Lord, that we could stand firm on your love. God, that we would not let this world be the foundation of success for us. Jesus, but that you would. God, that you would call us higher and closer to you so that our hearts, our lives, our souls, that they would just be more free. Lord, free to worship, to surrender, to sacrifice, to praise. Jesus, there are needs represented in our church every single day. God, there's physical illness that we're battling. Lord, there's emotional pain that we're wading through right now. Jesus, there's spiritual frustration. God, there's relationships that are torn and hurting. Lord, and we believe that because of the work you did on the cross, we can talk directly to you. And Jesus, we bring all of these things to your feet, trusting that that you alone can answer those. You alone can provide healing and help and hope. You alone can be our firm foundation. Jesus, we trust you. God, would you help us to, to move into this time talking about discipleship, Lord. We don't, we don't want to have our walls up. God, we, we came to church this morning because we wanted to hear your voice. Lord, and we don't get to pick what you're going to say. Jesus, so would you open our eyes and our ears to hear it, prepare our hearts, for what you want us to do to respond. Lord, and may we have the courage today to respond uh, to how you are calling us and how you are challenging us, no matter how comfortable it is. Lord, we love you and we trust you and we give you today and every day. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, um... I was just going to show you guys my pastor's appreciation gift. Uh, I thought that, you know, you might want to see it modeled. Uh, It even has a little key on it, which I love. I've been dropping hints for years, um, wishing that I would get a purse like this, and I got a purse like this this morning. And so I, I said to my roommates, I said, should I just wear it when I preach? And to which they said no. But here I am. Um, so if anybody wants to see it later, it has pockets. Um, I'll set it down and we'll, I'll show you all of them. Okay. Anyway, uh, all right. Well, I, this morning I was getting ready. I told Dale this and I'm glad it didn't happen. But I, <laughs> I was getting ready and I realized that I got to preach again for the first time in like a month. And the boys are back in town, got stuck in my head. The boys are back in town. And I was like, yeah, let's do this. Um, so I'm really excited. Um, I am not a boy, and I 
have always been in town, but I am excited. And so uh, this is going to be fun. Um, I will tell you that this is the second week of our series, Major League Discipleship. If you have not noticed, it is a baseball theme. Uh, that's what that is. Yeah, yeah. Um, sometimes I, I hit it, you know, out of the park. Uh, <laughs> Okay, uh, but so Kurt introduced you to this baseball diamond concept. That's what this picture is. Yes? Okay. Um, and first, er, first we talked about home plate last week with Kurt. And I am on first base this week. And I'm going to ask you to not have your mind in the gutter when I tell you that we're going to first base this morning. Um, but we, <laughs> we're going to first base this morning. And I will tell you, I had a little bit of a beef with the fact that I got first base. And I will tell you why, okay? Besides the fact that each of these bases represent first, second, third home and home church influence world, they also represent the leagues of baseball, okay? So, for example, second base is the minor leagues. Third base is the major leagues, which Kurt gets to preach on because he decided the sermon series. I, however, got the little leagues. Now, I don't know if this is a short joke, <laughs> okay? I, I, I don't know if this is his amount of faith in my ability to know about baseball things, but I feel a little offended by that. But let me tell you what, uh, little does he know is that I played softball when I was a kid. Um, yeah, thank you, thank you. Um, all of us kids, my brother Adam, my sister Erin, and myself, we all got stuck playing <laughs> baseball or softball when I was growing up. And, you know, call it what you will, cheap child care or character development, I don't know, uh, but we all played it. And uh, every summer, we would have to go to all these games and watch these games of my brother and my sister. And when I was growing up, when I was too young, I was really excited to do it. And one of my favorite stories of the whole Hafner tradition of uh, this wonderful game is that my brother was actually pretty good at baseball, okay? Uh, so good that they made him the catcher, okay? And uh, my brother was very proud of that fact, okay? Uh, let him have it. It's fine. And so he was the catcher at a game, and it was towards the end of the season. And my, brother my brother's team, Adam, their team was ahead. And there was one home run separating them from the other team getting ahead of them, correct? So Adam's the catcher, and he's sitting there. And this guy is going to make a home run. And they are scared to death that he's going to do it because he's done it before. And I remember sitting in the bleachers, and we were all cheering and excited. And I was like, Adam, you got to catch it. Like, you got to do it. And so uh, the ball goes flying. It's being tossed left and right all the way to get to Adam. Adam catches it just in the nick of time, tags the guy out. And Adam shouts, you are out. A-U-T out! <laughs> and to this day, you know, 20 years later, my, my dad still loves telling Adam that he is A-U-T out. See, the little leagues, they teach us a valuable lesson, uh, even about discipleship, and that is this, that the little leagues empower us with the basics. 
They're where you learn that you are A-U-T out. And I'll prove this to you, that, that the little leagues empower us with the basics. How many of you played softball or baseball when you were growing up? Okay. All right. Keep your hands up. How many of you remember your first baseball mitt? Yeah. Yeah. Even if it was rented, borrowed, hand-me-down, you kind of remember it, don't you? Because the first, it matters. The first, they matter. It's like your first date, or your first kiss, or your first kid or pregnancy. It's, it's your first job. It's your first tour in the military. It's your first drive. It's your first car. They just, they matter. And the first, they, they empower us with the basics. Now, the same is true in our experiences with the church. How many of you remember the first church you were ever a part of? Now, for some of us, those first churches, they bring back fond memories, don't they? Maybe they represented, like, really good cookies in Sunday school. I remember, still remember Barb Christensen at my Sunday school class, and she would play the piano, and we would sing songs together. But for some of us, our first church doesn't represent good things. For some of us, it represents feeling out of place, or judged, or even worse, condemned. It represents people that didn't actually care about us. See, the first matter. Little leagues, they empower us with the basics, good or bad. Good or bad, they form how we interact with the church how we disciple, even. And so this morning, I want to look at the very first church, and I want to see what it has to teach us about discipleship. So we're going to be in Acts chapter 2 for a majority of our time today. We're going to be in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42. It says, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple every day. <clears throat> every day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity all the while praising God for enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Man, what a time to be alive, right? You read this and you're like, that would just be so cool to be a part of that church. And it's the church being the church, doing their thing. This is the first ever church. And so I figure we just model it after this. You know, we'll just meet every single day. Uh, we'll rotate on who's going to cook. I know that Val makes a mean enchilada casserole. Um, so I think that could be, she could be up first tomorrow. And then Dale, if you want to take Tuesday, um, and I'll take Wednesday. But, but that's not necessary, is it? And that's not necessary because this paints a picture of the little leagues. This is the first baseball mitt that the church was ever given. Matthew 28 
Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. The first church is the direct response to that commission. The people that were building the first church, they literally heard Jesus say those words. And it's beautiful, and it's difficult to look at this verse in Acts 2 and start to think, man, we do not measure up. We just don't have enough potlucks. <laughs> We're not in our homes enough. We aren't doing it correctly. You know, we aren't, aren't doing this right. But if the biblical meta narrative teaches us anything, it's that we as humans, we are constantly growing and developing under the sovereignty of God. And the church is all people, so it has to as well. The same things that worked for your first church that made it so special don't work today. They may be outdated, they may freak people out a little bit. They may be tired. And just like we do with the Lord, our church has to develop under the sovereignty of God. You know, in the little leagues, between the little leagues and the minor leagues, the pitcher's mound, it gets further away, right? The ball gets smaller, the bat gets heavier, or lighter, I'm not sure. And all of those things change. But let me tell you what, the goal is still the same, isn't it? The goal is still the same. Go and make disciples. And if you've played baseball or softball, you know that there was a day when you set down your baseball or, and your, your softball or your, your baseball mitt, you set it down, and you never picked it up again. There was a day when you stopped running the bases. There was a day when you stopped playing catch in the backyard. There was a day when you stopped practicing and getting better. And I think the same is true with discipleship. There was a day when you stopped praying for others. There was a day when you started arriving late to church and leaving early so you didn't have to talk to anybody. There was a day when you just decided that you yourself was A-U-T out. <laughs> and I'm not going to play this game anymore. But the, this discipleship, this ball game, the rules haven't changed. The goal hasn't changed. You have. We have. And so what would it take for us to get on base? What would it take for us to get back in the game? Because that's what really this is all about, right? Running from home plate to first, it's getting in the game. What would it take for you to get back in the game? Back, 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 back in the game, you know? Sorry. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, <laughs> so I have a couple things that I think it would take. The first one is this. We would have to focus on what we have in common. Verse 42, it says, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. Now the word fellowship there is the word koinonia. Go ahead and say it. It's kind of fun. Koinonia. And that word comes from the prefix koinos. Can you say koinos? koinos? Koinos. Now, koinos is a prefix, and it can be put in front of 
any sort of Greek word to show that you and this other person have something in common. So if Karen and I had koinos mother, we would have a mother in common. We would be sisters. Okay? Uh, Valerie Elizabeth and I have koinos house. We have a, a living place in common. And the early church, they focused around koinos savior, koinos Holy Spirit, koinos God. But let me tell you something. I doubt they were all Broncos fans. Oh, man. I, I doubt they all had the same political opinions. I can't imagine that they only struggled with the, thi with the things that are easy to talk about in terms of sin. Just by sheer number, we know that there was lust and greed and sexual immorality and addiction present in that crowd. They weren't perfect. It said that they, they didn't all have the same amount of wealth either. It said that they shared with one another to everybody who had need, which in part means there were people that had them. They were all different, but they rallied around what they had in common. Koinos, Jesus. We live in a culture right now that wants to rally around the things that set us apart. That wants to rally around the things that make us different. But, but the Christ followers at that time, and our job today is to rally around Jesus. Not that we're all perfect, not that we all like the same things. Uh, Paul talks about this in Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since the, we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, I don't know if you knew this, but a cloud of witnesses, that's you guys too. <laughs> Did you know that? You are all little clouds. You are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on what? Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat at, down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Consider him. It does not say consider each other's ethnicities and political views, consider each other's likes and dislikes, consider each other's age and whether you like them or not, consider their, their things that they say and the way that they act, consider how much money they have or they don't have. It doesn't say any of that. It says consider him. And our call is to run this race fixed on Jesus, not our differences. It is called to fix our eyes on who he is. Did you know about first base is that first base is the only base that you can safely overrun? Okay? That, for us baseball people that don't really know about baseball, that means that I can run all the way to first base, and if I miss it but I touch it, I'm safe. That is not true of second and third. That means that if you run from first to second and you miss the plate, you, you touch it and you keep running, that means you're out. <laughs> but at first base, you run with all you have. 
You run with reckless abandon towards first base just so you can get in the game. And if you run past it, if you miss it, it's fine as long as you hit it. As long as you run with all that you have. And let me tell you what, I would rather be a part of a church that runs with all that we have towards each other and all that we have in common than slowing down and pumping the brakes and saying, well, did you hear about what so-and-so did or who such-and-such is? We should be running hard towards Koinos community where we have Jesus in common. And in order to, to rally around that sort of commonality, that means that, man, there's going to be an age difference sometimes between you and the person God's having you minister to or you and the person that's ministering to you. It means uh, that you might not live in the same part of town as them. It means that you might not root for the same football team. It may mean that you might not even have anything in common. But through God's Holy Spirit, those details, they just fade away. I imagine as you're sitting at, standing at home plate and you hit that ball, everything fades and you become fixed. And you say, I have to get in the game. We need that kind of tenacity again, folks. We need that. Second thing that it would take for us to get back in the game is this. We have to realize the miracles. Say that with me. Got to realize the miracles. Let's look at what they said next. Verse 43. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders, and all the believers were together and had everything in common. And this is such a beautiful part of Scripture. I wish I could be there for this. You know, this is, this is magnificent. They knew that they were on the front end of something, that they were Jesus' first church, and they acted like it. But this is still the little leagues, and it still is just empowering us with the basics. And I look at this text, and sometimes I think, man, we're just not doing good enough. Like, this text, to me, reads like the early church was like Cirque du Soleil, you know? with like people hanging from things and, and lights and lasers and smoke and things and beautiful awe and wonder. But, but, but that's not how it happened. They were empowering us with the basics. David Guzik, he says this, he says, this was the evidence of the power of God. One of the greatest, most powerful works God can do is change the human heart. I'm going to read that part again. This is the evidence of the power of God. One of the greatest, most powerful works God can do is change the human heart towards a reverent honor of the Lord. This is the evidence of the power of God. Where God is at work, lives will be touched in miraculous ways. Let's talk about this for a second. How much more miraculous is it for somebody's life to be changed? There are people that, and maybe married folks, you, can, you know this, you can't even get your husband to change his opinion about taking the trash out. Okay? We don't change easily. But God has miraculous works. 
to do in your heart. And, and we miss out on that. We think that we need to see this mystical happening. But maybe the most miraculous thing is not on YouTube, but it's in your heart. Maybe the most miraculous thing that you could do with your life is to bring another closer and closer to Jesus. The miracle of holiness. That he changes who we are. And, and listen, don't miss this, because the first time that we run a home run, it's like a miracle happened, isn't it? We're excited. First time Adam caught that darn ball, they were A-U-T out. Second time, eh, it was probably luck. Third time, it was exciting. By the 10th or 15th time, we got it down to a science and we're kind of bored. And the same thing happens in the church. Years pass, and the same adrenaline, it just doesn't do it. We're looking for pillars in the sky we're looking for signs and wonders and things to happen. But let me tell you what, Jesus didn't die on the cross so that we would have a good halftime show. He died on the cross so that you and I would be in relationship with him. So that that which is not easy for us, which is changing the human heart, could be made possible. And we don't see these miracles everywhere. See, we have to realize the miracles. You have opportunities even in this building to perform the greatest miracles that this world has ever seen. Every time a disciple empowers a disciple to change, to go closer to God, heaven rejoices. It's not this one-and-done mentality. <laughs> but it's every time that we grow closer. I have a picture to show you this morning uh, of my friend. Um, in case you didn't know, I'm the one on the right. Okay, uh, <laughs> And this is my very good friend, Steph. And Steph is a very special person to me. Uh, when I was 16 years old, Steph became my personal mentor. 16. Six, just to give you a snapshot, 16-year-old Lindsay was a mess, okay? Uh, not what you see here today. <laughs> and, and, and she took me under her wing, and she decided that, that she was going to mentor me. So in high school, that meant uh, I had to respond to a call that God was giving me to be a pastor, and she walked through that with me. In college, we wrestled with uh, the drama of dating. Uh, in my early 20s, we wrestled with it more. Uh, <laughs> later years, she would be the first person that I called when I was offered the job for this job here at Anchor Church. Now, she sat with me uh, at a many a funeral home, holding my hand while I make arrangements for people that I had lost. Thirteen years of life with this woman. Let me tell you, when, when Steph challenges my way of thinking or my opinions or my hesitations or my doubts, I listen. Because this relationship is miraculous. It has changed my heart. It's changed my life. It's changed who I am. She constantly reminds me to go towards Jesus when in my humanity I don't want to. And that's miraculous. Now, miracles, they have the potential to happen all around us. But let me tell you something. You got to get in the game first. 
You ain't going to run a home run unless you get in the game. You can't sit on the bench the entire time and expect that God's going to do something miraculous in your life. You've got to get on base. You've got to get in there. You have to make the effort and get on home plate and be vulnerable and say, I need to be discipled or I need a mentor or I want to mentor somebody. God's calling me to do this. You have to get in the game to be a part of miracles like that. They will never happen if we are only church attenders. I wish they would. Man, that would make my job so much easier, okay? But they will never happen if we just come and check the box. They happen when we have relationships with people that are miraculous, and through the strength, and through the steadfastness, and through the connection and encouragement that we have with them, we make changes in our lives and our hearts for Jesus. And I'll tell you, this shameless plug, Pastor Kurt has made it incredibly easier than ever to do that. Uh, we have, we've launched what's called the Discipleship Pathway. And the Discipleship Pathway is a beautiful name to say it is a thing that is a spiritual conversation starter between you and another person. It happens between three months in six months, you could even stretch it out to a year if you wanted to, depending how frequently you wanted to meet. But it's just starting these conversations. It's starting the conversations between you and someone else that wants to walk with you through life. Now, we've had folks that have already gone through it, and they've been amazed by it. They've loved it. And so I want to challenge you. There is a connection card in the seat back in front of you. If you take that, and you write your name, and you write, I want to be discipled, or I want to mentor somebody, whatever God's calling you to do, and you drop it in that giving box, I will get it tomorrow, and we will hook you up, okay? Because we have to get in the game in order to see the miracles happen. Lastly, we have to break bread and barriers. Verse 46 Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. See, there's something disarming about inviting somebody into your home. That means that they, they get to see how good or bad of a decorator I am. They get to see how, how much dog hair is actually on my furniture. They get to see when the last time was that I took the trash out. They get to see all of those things. It's disarming having somebody else in your home, but the most disarming thing about it is that it breaks a barrier. It breaks a barrier that was once there between you and another human. And that's life-changing. Jesus, he was all about breaking barriers, wasn't he? He broke the biggest barrier this world has and will ever know. He took on humanity. He was tempted and tried so that the barrier between God and his people would be broken, would be no more. Every time you choose to make a disciple, to encourage somebody on their walk, you are breaking that barrier. You are breaking that moment. And I think that that's why Jesus was so visual. 
when he broke the bread in front of the disciples that night. Because just like this bread, we have to break it apart. We have to tear it apart. And what is exposed is what's inside. What's exposed is our vulnerabilities, our insecurities. What's exposed is the stuff about me that does not look like Jesus yet. And when we break down those barriers, this is where Jesus meets us. Jesus met us on the cross in his body. He held nothing back so that we could experience him. And yet, man, we hold things back. We say things like, I could not do that because we have nothing in common. I don't talk to that person because of this. I'm not a part of this discipleship program because I've been there, done that a million times. And instead, we put a barrier instead of breaking it apart. I want to ask this question this morning. What barrier do you need to break so that miracles can happen? What barrier do you need to break so that miracles can happen. Maybe you need to join a group in this community so that, so that some other person is closer to Jesus. Maybe uh, you need to step out and find a mentor, somebody to invite you in to their home and into their lives, encourage you, challenge you, walk with you. Maybe it means that you need somebody to mentor you. You need somebody that's discipling you. You need a Steph in your life. Maybe you need to step out and say, Lord, I'm not going to let this hold me back any longer. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23. For I pass on to you what I receive from the Lord himself. On the night that he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, they took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed by my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. And this, this kind of blows my mind because in Acts 42, it says that they met often to take the Lord's Supper. Some of the people that were in this church saw Jesus be crucified, but they did not want to forget. They wanted to fix their eyes. They wanted to consider him not their differences, not their weaknesses, not their insecurities. They wanted to consider him. This morning, we're going to take communion, and all are welcome to participate. But before we do that, uh, Karen, if you could put that, that question back up on the screen. I want you to wrestle with this question. What barrier do you need to break so that miracles can happen? What do you need to let go of? Jesus, we want to be people 
that go and make disciples. Lord, no matter who we are, what we do with our time, how old we are, how young we are, Lord, what we look like, what we sound like, Jesus, the game is still the same to go and make disciples. Lord, I want to do that with my life. Would you reveal in my heart, would you reveal in my spirit anything that separates me from pursuing that calling?